declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, now spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, I'm pleasing Him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. If you believe it, give me another amen. amen. Alright, the Lord will increase you this evening in the name of Jesus. Amen. Understanding has come to you today in Jesus' name. Alright, greet somebody on your left and your right as you take your seats. The Lord is good. So I'm looking at look, the lifted by the Lord. Let's open our Bibles to the book of First um, Chronicles chapter 11. That is where we are going to start from this afternoon. Now, what I have to read here is very long. We are going to jump a number of verses, quite a lot. Because we are reading into, we are reading all the way into chapter 12. Now, for time's sake, of course, we'll not read everything. We'll just start um, somewhere, and then we'll be leaping over verses until and we're just highlighting the ones that we want. Now, let's start from verse 10. It says, Now, these are the heads of the mighty men whom David had, who gave him strong support in his kingdom, together with all Israel, to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. This constitutes the list of the mighty men whom David had, and they began to list them. Uh, the first man, Jashobim, the son of a Hakmonite, the chief of the thirty, and the strength of this man was described. After him, verse 12, Eliezer, the son of Dodo, and then he was, verse 13, with David at Pesdamin, when the Philistines were gathered together there to battle. And there was a plot of ground full of barley, and the people fled before the Philistines. They took their stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by a great victory. Now three of the thirty chief men, that in this verse 15, we see the experience of when David wanted to drink water, and three of these men went down to go and get him water. For time's sake, I'm going to jump all of that. The story we all know very well. They get down to verse 20. As for Abshai, the brother of Joab, he was chief of the 30, and he swung his spear against 300 and killed them. And he had the name as well as the 30. Then in verse 22, he described another man, Benaiah, and then he talked about the strength of that man also. Yeah, you can continue reading verse 26. Now the mighty men of the armies were Sahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, and then the list continues until you get down to the end of chapter 11. Then now go to verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now these are the ones who came to David as Ziklag, while he was still restricted because of Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men who helped him in war. They were equipped with bows, using both the right hand and the left to sling stones and to shoot arrows from the bow. They were Saul's kinsmen from Benjamin. They gave you the name of this man. Then you look at things like verse 8. From the Gadites, they came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness. Mighty men of valor. Men trained for war. Who could handle shield and spear. 
whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as, and they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. They began to give us a list of these men from verse 9. Now verse 16, we tell us that then some of the men of Benjamin and Judah came to the stronghold of David. David went out to meet them and said to them, If you come peacefully to me to help me, my heart shall be, shall be united with you. But if to betray me to my adversaries, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look on and decide. Then one of those men began to prophesy. He said, Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was the chief of the thirty, and he said these things, We are yours, O David, and with you, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to him who helps you. Indeed, your God helps you. Now the Bible continues to give us the account of verse 19, from verse 19 of men who defected to David from Manasseh. And these men gathered to help him. And I look at uh, verse 22. He now said, For day by day, men came to David to help him until there was a great army like the army of God. Now we're con- going to continue reading, right? I think there's a lot to read. That's why I keep jumping, just so as to save our time. Now these are the numbers of the divisions equipped for war who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. The sons of Judah, he gave you the number of them. Now you see all of this, you get down to things like um, verse 31. I need to read verse 31. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, who were designated by name to come and make David king. Then he talked about the sons of Issachar, a very well-known scripture, who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. And the, their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. He continued to give us a list. Let me just read verse 38 and end it there. All these, being men of war, who could draw up in battle formation, came to Hebron with a perfect heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one mind to make David king. Now what I want to talk about today is the fact that God uses helpers when it's time for him to make somebody king. The Lord is good. All right, so, like I was saying, what we want to continue to look at is the fact that God is a lifter, and that's what we have been looking at. Uh, we just need to remember again, it's not human beings that lift people up. The Bible makes it clear that God rules in our affairs. He's the one that gives the kingdoms of men to whomsoever he wishes. He's the one that sets upon the kingdoms even the least likely of people. Please, let's bear that in mind. We have been looking at it. And the amount of effort we have established that we put into being pleasing to God is a reflection of how much we truly have faith in the coming lifting of God. What I'm going to say is this. You know, faith is something that you cannot see with ordinary eyes. You can only see faith by what it produces in the lives of people. If you want to know whether you have faith or you don't have faith, it's in what you do that other people don't do. That is, people who don't have faith. You cannot claim to have faith and you will be behaving like everybody else. That is not faith. There will be something about your life. There will be things about your life, better to say it like that. Not just one thing. There will be things about your life which will be different. And if somebody were to ask you, why do you behave like this? The only explanation you would have is that the word of God says this, the word of God says that. That will be the only explanation you will have for what you are doing. That is what faith is. 
If there's nothing, no decision you are making in that regard, don't be deceived. You don't have faith. Now, please, I, I, I need to explain that. James says something. Show me your faith without the works. I will use my works to show you my faith. You cannot know your faith by intellectual knowledge. You don't know whether you have faith or you don't have faith by the number of scriptures you can quote. You don't know whether you have faith or you don't have faith just because you recite something that everybody says. Do you get my point? Listen, this is the end of the year. One of the things you should do is just look over the year and assess your life. Do I really have faith? Am I walking by faith or am I walking by assumption? Many people are walking by assumption. That's a matter of fact. They just assume that because I go to church and the name of our church has faith in it, it means I'm a person of faith. No. Let me just say this briefly, all right? And that's one thing God does for us. Periodically in life, he will have our faith tested. He will have it tested. Sometimes you will fail the test. And God is not concerned. I'm, when I say concerned now, he's not angry that he failed the test. What he just wants you to know is that you failed the test. I don't know whether you're getting my point. You know, sometimes students will fail. How was the exam? The lecturer did not pass me. Are you getting my point? I remember somebody who was in secondary school that time. We finished our SSCE, all right, WASC. And I said, how was the result? Somebody, one of my friends said, ah, they didn't give me physics. They did not give me chemistry. You know, you start hearing questions like, they did not give me physics. They, they did not give me chemistry. And of course, what, <laughs> that's a very ungodly statement. That's a proud way of narrating your result. What you should say is, if I say, how was the exam? I failed chemistry. I failed physics. Do you get the point? I failed geography. It is not them did not give it to me. Because if you say they did not give me, it means that I'm okay the way I am. The problem is with them. Please, you are getting the point I'm making here. So when we fail the test of faith, God has no problem with it. As long as we know how to express that I failed my test of faith. It is not as if it's the country. It's not the country. It's you that failed the test of faith. Do you understand my point? Jesus used to ask the disciples, where is your faith? O ye of little faith. These are statements we must understand what they mean. That is, we say, where is your faith? It is us, we are the ones that have the problem. So periodically in life, God allows that to come to us so that we will know we don't have faith. Not like he's angry. He's just saying, know your situation. Like I said, he will come to Adam, where are you? So he comes to every Christian. In your faith life, where are you? You must know where you are in your faith life. That's what he's just saying. Just know where you are. When you know where you are, you cannot go and walk and leave that place and come to the place where you are supposed to be. It's thinking that's the problem. You see, this is very important. In the last days, Jesus said that many will come to me and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do this in your name? And I will say to them, I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. Listen to what that means. That is, those people were in church those people, they came to the Lord Jesus. The point is this, they were in church for all, possibly all their lives. You understand my point? And then, now let me say this again. And they thought they were Christians. They thought they were of faith. They thought they were born again. They thought they were doing the work of God. They really thought so. Why am I saying so? That was why they could look the Lord in the face and argue with him. Did we not do great works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Were we not there doing these things in your name? That is, they, look, listen, that was not the point of arguing, you know, arguing when you are lying. Do you get my point? That was the point in which you will say the things you are convinced about. And sincerity, let me tell you something. The fact that you are sincere will not be justification. 
He said, what if I'm really sincere? This, that's why I was going all of these things. He will have given you the opportunity again and again to correct yourself. Those who came to him in sincerity, he gave them the opportunity again and again to correct themselves. But what happened is that they would rather cover up. Look, God's plan with David and Bathsheba, what God expected, now he knew what to happen. But if you ask God what should happen, what he will have said is that I know David will commit his adultery. I know. Okay? Now, what I want to say, I don't know how to say it now. Don't misunderstand me. I want him to commit the adultery. Please don't misunderstand me. Then, when he will have committed the adultery, let's take it from there. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. Where David now carried it to, carried it to, which God did not plan, was not that we have committed adultery. Bathsheba has now come to tell us, Oga, Wahalade. What goes on after that is why people go to hellfire. I don't know whether you're getting my point. David would have been damned permanently. If when Nathan came again, that was the second, the first one, the first one, eh, that adultery was bad. But that one did not require Nathan's vi- uh, visit. It's just for David to say, ha, Omo, things are bad. He would have gone in by himself and prayed, offered a sacrifice. And realize the kind of wicked man that he was. But instead of doing that, you know what he did? Let's cover it. And he that covers his sin will never, will never prosper. That was where his problem began. Let's cover it. Then when the cover up had worked, that was when Nathan came in. God doesn't send prophets to you. You know, some people say, hey, a prophet told me, prophets only talk to you when you are proven to be stubborn. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I tell you all the time, he says, the Lord began to speak to me. Look, don't make me, don't try and look spiritual in my eyes. Don't try. A lot of times you are talking like that. There are things people tell me that God said to them. I tell you, wow. In my mind, you are really stubborn. If God needed to talk to you on what we all know, I don't know whether I get my point. It's like a man comes to you and says, when I saw that money, I saw that money, I knew it was not mine. The Spirit now told me that you can't take what is not yours. You know, you're looking at the person and say, uh uh-huh. You needed the spirit to come down and speak to you. You get what I'm saying? You needed the spirit to come down and speak to you that taking what is not yours is wrong. Let's make a long story short. That was when David got into trouble. It was for the attempt to cover. Now, why am I doing all of these things? Those people that Jesus said to her on the last days, on the last day, that I never knew you. He let them know again and again. But what happened is that this is what happens. Let me say something to you, okay? God judges you for what you love. You see what I'm trying to say in a moment. A lot of doctrines we believe is not based on truth. It's based on what, what we love. What I'm trying to say, let me, let me explain it. I used to have a lot of argument with people on the doctrines I preach about money. Then one day I, I pointed out to my wife that she should check it, that most of them are preachers. Once a man wrote me, and he sent us a mail, sent to the ministry. When he read the book, um, so we pay for this. He said, huh, that's what I wrote in that book, that when he first read Grace to Prosper, he did not agree with the things I said inside. I told my wife, this guy is a preacher. I said, this guy is a preacher. Now, you see where I'm going. How many of you have read Grace to Prosper? Don't put up your hand, because you know, I, don't want to, I don't want to tempt you. <laughs> Say, after all these years, I've not read it. 
if you read Grace to Prosper, you will ask yourself, you have read it, what is there to disagree with? I don't know whether you're getting my point. And if you can disagree with grace to, grace to Prosper, how can you agree with so we pay for this? Is the same thought, the same person, the same spirit, how can you disagree with that one and agree with this one? I told my wife, he's a preacher. Because in, because in Grace to Prosper, one of the things you leave Grace to Prosper with, if you read it, is that I'm not sowing a seed so I can prosper. That's one of the things you leave Grace to Prosper with. And at the end of the book, I settled down and explained that the New Testament tizer is a cheerful giver. And that there is no law of God that says you must regularly calculate 10% of your income and take to anybody. There is no law. I explained in that book. But when I went to Grace to Prosper, like, so we'll pay for this, I sat down and explained to Christians that, so who will pay for this? Who will pay for the preaching of the gospel? If we don't get up and do it. So the man I agreed, I told my wife, this is a preacher. This is a preacher. Before, are you getting my point? I don't know whether you're getting my point. You see, the first time, the point is this. When he saw me saying that, all he knew to motivate Christians to give was what? What you will get. Two things. What they will get and the compulsory law, you must calculate the percentage. So when I, I systematically went through the scriptures and said that is not the word of God, it was hard for him to accept. Then when he saw on that book, encouraging Christians to give to the ministry, he said, yes, I agree with you on this one. I told my wife, this guy is a preacher. Now, what I want to say, you see, many of the things we believe, we don't believe, it's not based on truth, or whether we have been convinced. Whether we like the outcome of the doctrine, or we don't, is the first thing. Many people who believe this once saved, always saved, they like to sin. It is not about they read the scriptures. They ma- Look, listen, I'm sorry to say this. By their fruit, alright, you will know. I have found that some of the some of the people that push some of these funny doctrines hmm, go to the assembly. The normal lifestyle there is horrible. If that doctrine was so nice, what it will produce is the work of righteousness. Like I tell people, okay, I preached this when I was in Cardona two weeks ago. I said to them, are we under the law or not under the law? See, the argument didn't no, I don't get involved with common argument anymore. Because people you're arguing with. And that is why one of the problems I'm having, which I quickly try and make it clear. Because I may disagree with some popular practices in the, in the body of Christ. You understand my point? Those who don't want to give at all will not cure behind you, as if they are following you. They are not following you. It's just that they are looking for a reason not to give to anybody. Since you now preach to them that the Bible did not command first fruit, they like you. Because you now, they now hear you say, that if you like, calculate 5%. If you like, calculate 1%. If you like, calculate 99%. It's as you like it. And they like it because they want to calculate 0.2%. <laughs> Do you get my point? Many people who follow David, eh? You know why they follow David? He was an outlaw. And they were naturally criminals. So they ran out to go and follow David. They didn't. <laughs> that God anointed David is David's problem. But this man is running. We too want to run. At least, and David said, okay, fine. At least, more, the more the merrier in this running business. <laughs> now this one I'm going to make. Watch it. It's what people love. They actually decide what they can understand. 
And as a believer, first of all, your love must be for righteousness. For you have loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Are you getting my point? That is the first thing. What you love. The most important thing for believers to have in them is a love for righteousness. Is a love for righteousness. You must love righteousness. That is first of all. Before you start studying any doctrine, say, God, what I want is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects and to be able to bear fruit in every good work. The aim of my doctrine that I'm believing must be one that provokes one to faith and to the love of God. I realized many doctrines people preach is to explain and license the flesh. You know, give confidence that don't worry. The flesh may have lordship over you, doesn't matter, you will still go to heaven. And so they are happy. I want to live the way I like, then still get to heaven. So it's easy to believe funny doctrines. And that's why you have to be careful when you're arguing with people. The end result is what they are arguing about. They are not arguing about the truth of what you are saying. If what you are saying now is true, it will change my life. And I don't want my life changed. Are you getting my point? Back to the point I'm trying to make. The problem God has with people, therefore, is this cover-up. And refuse to acknowledge that I am wrong. Do you get my point? That is a problem he has with people. That was David's case. Look, I'm not saying committing adultery was right. But David, if he had just accepted it, no need for explanation. There's no need to release a decree. That women from now on, whether it's hot or cold, base inside your bedroom. Why? The king committed because a woman was baiting outside. I hope you're getting my point. But that was not the problem. I think to many countries, they the women, wrap up, wrap up, wrap yourself, wrap head to toe. Why? So as not to tempt men. When people do like that, God say, you, you, you see, you are not addressing the situation. You are not addressing the main problem. Now, okay, like, remember I said that was a digression. Okay? And I've explained that again and again to us in the past. What God wants to do is to change people. One of the effects of the ex- experience of our lives is to have us what is hidden inside us, revealed to us, so that we can acknowledge that and then we can change in the process. David, the problem he had was that he did not quickly acknowledge that there is iniquity inside me. Uh, that's what the basic problem is. Okay, so we have been looking at these things. Now back to the, where we stopped. Now so we have established that what God does, he tries to change us into what we are supposed to be and that's what we do in the process of waiting for the Lord. Now listen to this, God lifts people up. Somebody give me an Amen. amen. Remember what I was saying? Is the genuineness of faith. That's why I went into all of that. If we really believe these things, what God does is that he, he shows us, the, like, like I've been teaching now, there are revelations that will have come in that process to show that we don't really believe. And he's saying as a result, go back and work on yourself so that you really believe. He has shown to you your faith is small. Go and work on that faith. Go and work on that faith. If you are living life the way everybody lives it, you change your job for the same reason they change their jobs. You change it in the same way they change their jobs. You use your money the same way they do. What that means is that you are not believing God. I need to emphasize it. It means you are not believing him. You think you are. You are not. You think you are, but you are not. You are deceived. That's why I began all of that, that, that from. And we must not walk in deception. Like I was saying, what took me to that is that on the last days, many people who have walked in with, who thought they had walked with God, 
but they were deceived. God gave them the opportunity again and again to see that they don't truly believe. But they rather believe a wrong doctrine. Because one of the signs that God gives people, like those people that we're talking about, now, those people that the Lord saw, if you, you know what Jesus said to them? He said, depart from you. Of what? Now, was it their church work that was iniquity? Well, this is what I think. No. We cast out demons. Was that iniquity? We prophesied. Was that iniquity? You know what he was telling them? While you were prophesying, you knew what else you were doing. Look, that was what he was telling them. While you were prophesying, you knew what else you were doing. You know what they mean, prophe- prophe- prophesy? There are two, it, prophesy doesn't, doesn't mean only, um, oh my God, that says the Lord. That's prophesying. I'm not saying it's not prophesying. That is one. What I've been doing for the last 30 minutes is part of what is called what? Prophesying. Once you bring forth God's word, you are prophesying in that context. So when they said, did we not prophesy in your name? What they, were, what, what they meant is that we're preachers, we're evangelists. We went around preaching the gospel. We did all of these things. And Jesus is looking at them. I said, ah, you did. After every meeting, there's one man. One man said, I went to one church to preach. After ministry, the church people offered him one of the women in the church. Yes. I, don't, I wasn't there. I'm telling you what he said they did to him. Church. I like the way you said that. Church. When I heard it, I said, how can I be a church? Is that possible? But that's what he said, though. I was not there. I told the story of one man of God I heard, one preacher. That anytime he does a crusade, when he closes, he, he locates the red light district of that city and picks a harlot and goes home with her. Every time. Like, if he travels now, he, has, okay, he, traveled, he traveled to Oka to go and preach. After the meeting, meeting ends by 8, 9 o'clock, 10, when everybody has left, just go and hang around the left. You will soon see him. <laughs> How to believe, Abby? Let me not pollute your ears further. I've heard all kinds of things. I know what Jesus is saying. You were prophesying, yes. But why didn't you notice these other things? You know, because of this work that we do, you hear all kinds of things. I don't want to write um, stories that touch. So that's not what I'm doing. I'm, t- I'm preaching. I'm not trying to write a book <laughs> on interesting bad stories of life. But this is the point. The people were doing them. They knew they were doing them. True of us. And Jesus was saying, that's what should have concerned you. When he came to them and said, you workers of iniquity. That's what he was saying. He said, Pastor, I, I know you organize program. I know you preach. He said, but you know when you finish preaching, they wait outside. When you mount the pulpit, when you ask Israel, how much was the offering yesterday? Israel said, ah, okay. This offering can't pay. Can't pay for everything that we have done. How many more sessions do we have? He said, we have three more. We have done two. Okay, no problem. I will fix that. Praise the Lord. After the first two sessions, a lot ministered to me that the people here they need to prosper. Hallelujah. Well, is Israel that ministered to you that okay? <laughs> we are down by 45,000 or 1 million? <laughs> and then you create a doctrine supposedly from the Lord. So the next three m- 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 meetings is on special seed, special seed, special seed. Those are the things God is checking. Do you get the point? 
those are the things that the Lord Jesus was checking when he said, you worker of what? Iniquity. That was what he was checking. Why am I speaking, sitting on this? I don't know. Now let me just emphasize something. We prophesied in your name. They did not lie. They did. They did mighty works in his name. They did not lie. They did. That's why, listen, I'm talking about the sign of true faith. The signs of true faith is a walk in righteousness. Listen, true faith is not what I declare, what I'm expecting. God will do good for me. You know, um, was it yesterday night? Yes, yesterday night, my wife and I was, were watching Christian TV. They were just changing channels. So we stumbled on some preacher. We just went from one Christian channel to another, okay? So we watched a particular message for some time. Somebody was teaching on faith. So I observed it for a while. And I told my wife, this is one major problem. That is the preaching of the message of faith. I said, this one major problem is hard. I said, listen to this message. I said, most of the time we're applying faith. You know what it does? We are using it for? To get. That is where the major problem is. We are using our faith most of the time to do what? To get. We are trying, you know, when we exercise, wake up in the morning, what we are servicing is flesh. I said, the message of faith will have had less condemnation. That's how they started, some people started calling us names. Name it and claim it gospel. Now, the faith, you see, like I said at the beginning, it's not just about the method. Where is the heart? If somebody who loves the flesh, somebody who loves material things, who sets his or her eyes on physical things, not on the things that are above, if that person is learning faith, no matter how accurate the letters are, the spirit is wrong. The doctrine, therefore, cannot be right. That was the problem with the message of faith. We sat on all the time teaching, declare, declare. What are we declaring? All we are declaring is promotion in the office. All we are declaring is, is money. Material things. I said, if we had used our faith, and we had focused our faith on this mouth, we will not be a lying tongue. Nobody would have insulted our doctrine of faith. If we had said that, said, impatience will leave me. If we had used our faith on things that mattered. If we had said to ourselves, this lying spirit must depart. And you wake up every morning, you picture yourself, clean mouth, clean heart, in the name of Jesus. I see that tongue taking the coal from the fire, touching my tongue, in the name of Jesus, cleaning it. I see purification, a mouth that does not lie. Do you know that? Do you know the faith we walk? The faith we walk, I come against love. As an example, maybe I get home. Like one pastor actually did this. He went to one sister in their church and said to her, pray for me so that I will not die. Or was going to kill him? I'll tell you. He said, that message I preached on Sunday is not the word of God. That I'm afraid that one day I will offend God and he will have to kill me. That before Sunday, I meditated and I believed that God gave me a word for the congregation. He's the pastor of the church. He's a pastor. Went to somebody like one of the elders in church. He said, but by Saturday night, I got a message from headquarters that we need to remit maybe two million or three million naira. So I had to change my message on Sunday morning. As I was preaching it, I knew that God was angry. I said, that man will live longer. Of course, not as he will live long in his iniquity, but... If you admit your iniquity, then God can cleanse you of all unrighteousness. 
It's not if a man of God will go and take the word of God and say, in the name of Jesus, it will never happen that I will mount the pulpit and I will use the word of God to trick people. I declare. Covetous, that kind of thing that you now say, look, listen, the message I preached, it was not the word of God. It's called covetousness. It's fear of man. And we use faith and direct it at that. Henceforth, I declare in the name of Jesus, every time I mount the pulpit, it will never happen that I'll have something in my heart apart from declaring the whole counsel of God, the truth of God to the people of God, to promote righteousness, to promote the fear of God. Listen to me. If you do that for 40 days too, it will work. I know what Jesus said. All other things will now be added to you. Why am I just teaching this? All right? Just emphasize to us that the people that Jesus said, depart from me, workers of iniquity. He didn't come to them as a surprise. He had told them, corrected them again and again. And they refused the correction. Thinking that as long as we are getting results in ministry, we are okay. Thinking that as long as we are laying hands on the sick and the sick are getting healed, it is okay. Thinking that as long as the church number is increasing, it is okay. As long as we can gather large crowds and say it's our church, it is okay. As long as when we collect offering, we have enough to help the widow, to help the poor, to help the needy. As long as we can have a feed the poor project from church, it is okay. As long as all things are going on, we are fine. But periodically, God will say, Pastor, yesterday, Uriah's wife was bathing. No? I, I don't know whether you're getting my point. That's what the Lord does. So the Holy Spirit will come, the Lord will come and say, Pastor. Does God call people pastors? Eh? No. Call it by your first name. <laughs> he said, yesterday, Uriah's wife was bathing. No? And then, you called her. And she slept in the palace. And you now put on a message that says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in the spirit. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and of death. I was not saved by my works. I cannot be condemned by my works. But this will leave you alone. He won't argue. He will not argue. You know why he will not argue? At least you did not say, I did not touch Mrs. Uriah. You didn't say that. There was no argument on that. And God is not, look, all this doctrine of, will he condemn me? He's not it. Like I said, his own point is what? He has just one point. Do you love what you are doing? That is why he owes you no explanation on whether you will be condemned or you will not be condemned. I don't know whether you're getting what I'm saying. Listen, sometimes I wonder, why does God allow some doctrines? He says, it's for those who want to be, who want to decay. I don't, I don't know whether I get my point. It's for those who want to perish. There are doctors that are here. Say, why does God allow it? Why does He not stop it? And the Holy Spirit says, "How is it your business? It's for those who love it. If you don't love it, you can take it. If you don't love it, it can stay with you. If you don't love it, it will not affect you. That's what the Bible calls the sons of perdition. They are the ones that hold on to it. Because listen, I'm not going to be arguing with you on on whether the soul that sins dies or it does not die." If you want to believe the soul that sins will not die, it's your problem. I am judging the soul that loves to sin. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Listen, the last day there's no defense. The kind of legal defense. eh? There's nothing like that. It's written in the scriptures. 
My sins have been washed by the blood of Jesus. How can you still condemn me, God? <laughs> you know what I found out? The Lord is not going to participate in that argument. The judgment is going to be summary. How's that guy? He loves iniquity. All right, fine. Kill him. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, it's one simple point. See, there's no one in scriptures that says that if a believer loves iniquity, he will die. Because he says, I'm not arguing with you. I have told my angel, everywhere he sees iniquity, he should ice them. That's what a lot of Christians don't understand. These are your doctrines that you are holding on to rigidly. And you want to argue with some of us. With God, is irrelevant. There are points... Oh, let me give an example now. Look at this issue of tithing or no tithing. The only reason why I even began to speak about it was because Christians carried it to a level that was annoying. If you don't tithe, you go to hell. No, I have to respond to that. that. That's a lie. It's not the word of God. This is your key to prosperity. It's not true. Now, this is where I'm going. Like the church I preached in Cardinal, I was asking to them, I said, look, are we under the law or under the law? I said, listen, there are some arguments that are not necessary for good people. I said, if you are in a church as an example, or you are in a ministry, or look, let's just assume that God gave one of us brethren to oversee the generosity of everybody. He doesn't, but let's assume he does. And the person who has given the, this oversight, he sees that you don't believe in tithing. Hmm? <laughs> but then, you know, remember, he's, he's seen everything. But then he knows that 50, 60%, no, 70% of your income is shared between the needy, widows of your household, ministry of the word, ministers of the word, all kinds of good works. Are you getting my point? You know, he there's no need for argument. So when we keep, when we sit down there and be arguing on some things, the major problem with the Lord, eh, is that the heart doing this argument, he loves what? Unrighteousness. And that heart is looking for a scriptural excuse to continue in that work and have assurance, okay, that eternity will be okay. That's what I want to tell everybody today. Don't even, don't, look, before you start studying whether the soul that sins dies or does not die, once saved, always saved, a Christian can never be condemned, a Christian can never go to hell, all those kind of things. Before you start that, make sure you hate unrighteousness. So that even if today, the Lord were to tell you, that all right, I've made up my mind, nobody's going to hell again. I just, I just sent the devil a second chance form. If the devil will feel it, and reduce the amount of evil he's doing, even he will not go to the lake of fire. Even death, I've told death, just reduce the number of people you are killing, you will not go anymore to the lake of fire. So my people, I have reasoned about it. Why are all these restrictions? I hope you follow my point. So you find out that if, that, if God were to give that kind of situation, alright? Now, those who truly now listen to this. Those who truly believe, they still will not be interested in doing what is today called iniquity. I don't know whether I get my point. Even if you license them that it is okay, even if you did, they still wouldn't be interested. And that's exactly what God is trying to do. The people that truly love righteousness, so that if at the end of the day, the Lord said, okay, don't worry, don't worry. 
maybe let, uh, let me give an example now. As we now get to this heaven, you now see every all the bad boys in town, they are there. All the bad girls in town, they are there. The kidnappers, the arm robbers, in, are you getting my point? The harlots, the backstabbers, the those who hate God, they are all there. You know, this is how you know those who don't love righteousness. They're like, eh? So what was now the what was now the advantage of everything we we're doing on the earth now? Do you get my point? They are the kind of people that say to you that they had better be heaven. After all this suffering on the earth, there must be heaven. And that's what I want Christians to understand. If you are like that, you are still keeping away from sin because of the fear of hell. You have not started. You will soon hear a doctrine that will teach you don't worry. That will tell you it is okay. And once you hear that doctrine, <sighs> At last, uh-uh. we have been wondering. I knew that God couldn't be that wicked. Why? The fellow truly loves unrighteousness. And what God wants, that's what I'm trying to say in all of these things, is people who really love righteousness. So whether there's a chance of EFCC grabbing them, or EFC not grabbing anybody, it doesn't matter to them. They take pride in the fact that they don't steal public or private funds. It is what somebody loves, puts his or her heart on as the main focus. That's what matters. That's what desire what you believe. That's what desire the kind of doctrine that attaches itself to you. I mean, gone are the days I don't have that time anymore to argue with people over doctrines and all of that. I've now realized that, look, their main issue it's not the letters you are, you know, it's not the argument. Did the Bible not say? Did the Bible not say? No. That's why Jesus looked at some people and said, depart from me. Why? The people loved iniquity. They were just doing what they thought would help God overlook their iniquity all the while. They wanted to walk in iniquity and yet still have eternity secure. So they labor hard. People, when people are laboring for what they call the work of God, there are many reasons. And that is why, in my own, well, not why, but that's one reason. Okay, not the main reason. The main reason is, is that it's the truth. But that's one reason why I like what I preach. I don't promise anybody for anything for doing what is right. Because I don't want to breed those who do what is right for what they will get. I hate to be one breeding such people. Teaching people, well, this is what you get, this is what you get. And then they start doing what is right. You know the truth? They don't get anything. Even if they get anything temporarily, that is on the earth, they don't get anything in eternity. And if you're a preacher, I think you are doing disservice to the church when you keep on telling people these are the rewards of giving. Because you don't breed true givers. You breed selfish people. People who don't love the Lord, but who love the wages of what they think is godliness. The Bible says godliness. Paul was writing to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. He said many suppose that godliness is a means of gains. And that's what we preach today. Godliness as what? The means of gain. What is godliness? Giving is godliness, is it not? Preaching the gospel is godliness, is it not? Coming to church early and cleaning the chairs is godliness, is it not? Going to do crusades is godliness, isn't it? This is a godliness. Different forms. And they will preach it to believers as a means of gain. Then when we are finished preaching it to believers as a means of gains, 
of gain. They now start doing it. And hear the truth, which is the word of God. They gain nothing. They have a few sporadic testimonies. Testimonies which are not better than what common people on the streets get. You know, there was a time I used to hear funny doctrines that uh, Bill Gates is a Jew. I don't know. Is he a Jew or is he not a Jew? I don't know. But because he was the richest man in the world that time, they say it's because his ancestor paid a tithe. So if you want your great-grandchildren to, to, to be rich like Bill Gates, you come and tithe too. At least Max Gerberg is a Jew now, Abby. So now we cannot hold on to the fact that Abraham tithed. So that's why Max Gerberg is rich. You know, that's very, very selfish doctrines. Doctrines that are not engineered towards godliness. The doctrines that is because all our, our eyes are on the things of this earth. Now, I don't want to be part of that. You bring Christians that start doing those things. They be giving and giving and giving and giving for the wrong motive. That's why even though I preach giving, I don't believe in highlighting and pumping up the reward. There's reward though. Please, oh, don't get me wrong. Oh. There's a blessing. The Bible says it's more blessed. Is that not so? It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a matter of fact. But I'm going to emphasize that if the fellow has not been converted into a giver, the giving is not blessed. God loves a cheerful giver. Now let us assume I get my dog you know, I have a dog. A very big dog, for that matter. The dog is big. If he stands up, he's as, if he stands on two legs, if he could do it straight, he's taller than most children. Yeah, big guy. Assuming I wore the guy's suit, got my children's canvas put on him, and they learn to walk straight, wear a tie, you understand, and keep quiet. Because the Bible says, even a fool, when he keeps quiet, is considered a human being. <laughs> I just added that scripture together. <laughs> Even a dog, when it does not bark, can be thought to be human. <laughs> That's what I mean. And when I can start walking around, has he become a human being? Please read my, um, my sermon, Don't Be Without the Spirit. Try and read it it's on our website. I explained that thing in there. People without the Spirit are trying to do the things of the people with the right Spirit. And they are wondering why they are not blessed. The way God has done this world, that blessing thing, material thing, you have to forget it first if you ever want to be blessed in this life. It must not be your motive. It must not be in front of you. You must just love righteousness. You must just love righteousness. He said, for you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness or hated iniquity. It's only those that have reached that level that are blessed of God. Like I said, in my preaching, I taught believers to give us. Not people who are giving so they can get. Let me say it to you again. If you have been giving so you can get, get ready to be disappointed. Get used to being disappointed. Not really get ready. You have been disappointed for a long time now. Is it easy today? Say, clear your account. Do something dangerous. Like I always say, if you declare your account, it's good. Listen, if you have trouble, if they send you a recording, of your wife kidnapped, where she's crying, husband, help me, deliver me. You, you know, you know, you will clear your account. You will clear your neighbor's account too. According to one guy, any certificate I see, I born. <laughs> that is, they say, can you buy a certificate for five million dollars? <laughs> the guy said, born my certificate. 
he brought it out. He said, "Wanted to." <laughs> he said, "No, no." It's a question. So I told him we are testing whether the money is there. <laughs> he said, "Listen, I'm a lawyer. I will burn it. My senior brother is a pharmacist. I will burn his certificate too." <laughs> Say, my younger brother is a botanist. I will burn his own too. Say, I'll give it to a child. I'll send him to school to go and study medicine. When he graduates, say, Daddy, 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 I'll collect it. I'll burn it too. He said, this certificate I see I burn <laughs> for $5 million. <laughs> that is good. Now, you will clear your account if you have trouble. That's the point I'm making. You will, won't you? You will. But you're not clearing the account for what I'm going to get. But when something grips you, this is my thing. You will. That's why I tell Christians. When you want to give, when you are thinking of giving, think of what you want to do. I don't know what I get my point. It may not be you, maybe somebody else is using it. Think of what they want to do. That is the thing that will provoke you. Is that union of heart that wants to help somebody that will provoke you. If you are thinking of what it will bring back for you, you are wasting your time. You are wasting your money. The Lord is good. I know I minister to some people. Oh, I'm certain of it. I know, I know the feeling. I said all of this by saying something. Faith must be genuine. Remember that. The amount of effort. I know God wanted to minister to some people along those lines. That's why I left it and I allowed the spirit to flow. And I trust that you have been blessed. Okay? Please carry that message. Help people with it. When they come with you with arguments, say, my brother, leave this argument. Do you love righteousness? Carry that message to them. Bros, sister, let's not argue on whether one saved is saved. Or whether a Christian can go to hell. Let's not argue on that. Let's ask ourselves a simple question. Should we love iniquity? 